Well, this morning, as uh, Pastor Bill is sharing, we're, we're getting back in our series in the book of Titus. So if you have your Bibles, turn in that little book in the New Testament. If you don't have your own Bible, there should be one around you in one of the, the chairs in front of you or behind you or the side of you uh, and pick that up. If you're not really sure where it is, you can look in the table of contents or you can just kind of thumb through the New Testament and you look for the T books, First uh, and Second Timothy, Titus, toward the end of the New Testament and you'll run into it. I've entitled the message this morning, Living Right. I don't know if you've ever been in a conversation with someone when uh, something went well for you, maybe uh, unexpectedly, maybe you were in an athletic event and uh, your team won or whatever, and they were surprised. They said, well, you must be living All right, let's say it again. You must be living right, because they were surprised that something good happened to you. Now, sometimes when we think about living the Christian life, we kind of think that way, is that if I'm living right, only what kind of things will happen to me? Good things, well, only good things will happen to me. The reality of that is uh, God does sovereignly uh, filters whatever we go through is. Uh, we know that he's in control and he's in charge. But we need to recognize it doesn't necessarily mean that everything that happens in your life will be pleasant, or to put it in the other way, uh, good, or even in your terms, uh, right. But if we live right, we're right in the, in the center of God's plan, and whatever happens, we know that he has a purpose for it. I was with one of my friends yesterday, and we were spending time together, and he asked me the question. He said, did, did you hear about the pastor who got stabbed at church? Anybody hear about that? Uh, it was a priest, uh, and uh, what happened to him, he was giving the message up in front and on, on stage and before his uh, pulpit area, and all of a sudden, a man came up with something sharp in his hand, and he ran after him and, be, and began to stay, tackle him and began to stab him. Now, when, whenever you hear experience like that, I had somehow missed that story, I was thinking, well how would I respond if that happened to me? Now, I was thinking, would I run? You know, there's only two reactions. There's either flight or fight. Have you ever heard that? You know, when something like that dangerous happens, and I'm thinking, what would I do? You know, I've never taken Taekwondo, but I know people who have, so maybe I'd just be ready, you know, for, a, for that attack. And, and then I was thinking, well, you know, uh, I, I do carry a big Bible, and the Bible calls this the, the sword of the Spirit, so maybe I would attack that person with the Bible, But you never know what might happen in church. And it was interesting, as I was talking to Ken, and we've developed a friendship, and I said, you know, I've been inviting you to church. I just want to give you this this promising word of hope. As far as I know, it's never happened at our church facility that someone's come up and tried to stab me. And so you're safe. You're safe. You don't have to come up and try to protect me from someone who might uh, come up with a, a deadly weapon to take me down. But, it, but as we think about that, uh, sometimes we're, we're shocked by that. We're thinking, well, that can't happen at church. This is, this is a place where everybody's supposed to be nice and good, right? But, but let, me, you know, let me tell you, you know, what would be much more shocking than someone to try to attack me or somebody else here at church uh, would, would be that, that somebody would come to church, and not that we are prepared to, to safeguard anyone that might be physically attacked, but, but that somehow someone might come to church and they're, not that they're not prepared for something physical that might happen to them, but they're not prepared for what might happen to them after this life is over. Be, because the most important protection you need to have is what's going to happen to you when you do die. Because I don't know about you, uh, so far 100% of everyone who's ever lived on this planet did die. And, and the question for all of us, are, are we ready for what happens next? Are we prepared for that place God longs for everyone to be prepared for and be able to know that they're knowing for sure they're going to? And that's that place God has prepared, which the Bible calls heaven. 
And so this morning, we're going to be talking about living right, right in such a way that you know what's going to happen when this life is over. So if you have the book of Titus, uh, we're going to look at that, but I want to give a quick review of where we've been as well as where we're going to go this morning. Uh, as we think about what, what the book of Titus is all about, and it's a little book in the New Testament, it's only three chapters, and sometimes in, in small groups, and if you, if you haven't gotten to a small group, I, I just want to urge you getting into a small group, and, and sometimes we'll, we'll ask those typical questions, just to get people talking, and, and, and you don't necessarily have to have one, but sometimes you might ask the question, well, what is your favorite book in the Bible? Have you ever been in a group where people have asked you that? You know, what's your favorite book in the Bible? Okay, we got one hand that raised. Okay, no one's ever asked you that question. Well, uh, you know, sometimes I ask that question, and I don't even really know how to answer that question when I ask it because there's so many ones in here that are my favorite. So normally I might respond this way. It's whatever book I'm reading right now. That ends up being my favorite book in the Bible. We spent two years in the Gospel of Luke, and for two years, the Gospel of Luke was my favorite book in the Bible. Now, since uh, the, the new year started, the, my favorite book in the Bible is... Oh, you are such a sharp group. But anyway, so, so as we think about it, Titus is a great book, and, and Titus is a book that many people have never really studied or read, and, and we try to put some handles around it. The, the book of Titus is a little book. It's all about a template, Titus, a template for the church. It's a blueprint. It's a pattern by which we can understand how we ought to live corporately and how we ought to live individually if, if we're followers of Jesus. As we look at that, as you take the three chapters, and the Apostle Paul often, he's kind of a, a lawyer that hits everything when he, when he writes. But if you were trying to summarize this book, you could, you could put it this way. It's all about living right, but how do you, how do you live right? Well, how do you live right corporately is, is getting leadership right in the church, but you, could, you can break that down individually. If you don't have any role models in your church, uh, in, in your life, if you don't have any role models or examples that you look up to and follow, then it's, it's hard to kind of govern your life in a way that, that really has direction. And really, that's what the church should be all about, that, that there are examples here, not perfect examples, but there are people you can look up to. And, and these are people who are trying to live out the Christian life spiritually and give you leadership and guidance in how you ought to live as well. And so Paul takes basically one whole chapter to talk about getting leadership right in the church. But if you think about getting leadership right in the church, well, what's the purpose for that? Is it is to get God's people right in the church? So in chapter 2, he gets very detailed. He gave a 30-point outline. You know, most times when people preach, uh, they, they have three points in a poem. And it's the idea of here's the main thoughts I want to give to you. But Paul, in 10 verses, gave 30 action items in terms of how we ought to live. And he he spoke to everybody. If you remember that message, it was all about speaking to people who were younger and older and both genders, women and men, and to take people still in the workforce and say, this is how now you ought to live if, if you follow Jesus. And just to ensure, if you remember, as we looked at the passage in Titus, is, is sometimes we can look at, at a thing like this, the church, and think, well, is this just a religious self-help group? Well, we're trying to be a little bit nicer and, and a gooder, uh, not great, you know, um, uh, grammar, but it fits, right? Is that really what we're all about? Just help people a little bit nicer and get a little bit better in terms of how they live and we'll pull ourselves up by our own efforts. Well, really, the Christian life is not difficult. It's impossible. And so it's got to be a God thing. And so he, he speaks about that. And we sang about it this morning. As we think about Jesus coming again, we ought to be looking for that blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. It's all about focusing on him. So 
Paul writes to Titus, who is writing to this little island called Crete, and the Cretans were, were a project. They, they were people who were really struggling in terms of, of their lifestyle. And he says, look, at this is how you ought to live as you gather together, focusing on this one who is coming again. You got to get leadership right. You need to know who you ought to listen to, who you ought to follow. And by the way, then you need to get your own life right. And here's some benchmarks in terms of how you now ought to live. And remember, it's all about recognizing it's Jesus working in you. But if somehow we stop there, and there are how many chapters in the book of Titus? Three. This is going to be on the test, so you have to remember that, okay? We've gone through two chapters. Well, is it all about us? It's just about us, that we are here together, and as long as we're happy, then that's all why God has left us here until he brings us up to be with him. No, as we think about getting leadership right in the church and getting God's people right in the church, we need to get God's people right in the community. We are called, when we leave here, to spread out and demonstrate who Jesus is to others, so they're attracted to know him and to follow him and believe in him. And so this is where the Apostle Paul is headed. Now, another way you could put it this way, and I put it this way in your outline. After we understand that we are to get leadership right in the church, get God's people right in the church, and get God's people right in the community, what this really means is, is God is calling people to be members in his family. And that's really what happens when you cross the line of faith and put your trust not just in yourself or the things around you, but in the one who came for you, Jesus. He wants you to be a member in his, a member in his eternal family. But there's a purpose beyond that. And we talked about that last week. Uh, we are called to be ministers in the church. And, and this week, uh, we changed. The last week, the, the color of that card was, remember what color the card was here last week? Green, okay, we want you to grow in your service to each other. But now, what, what's the color this week? Sunburst yellow? Okay, all right. So at least you listen to Bill. Whether you listen to me, that doesn't really matter. Okay, so it's sunburst yellow. In other words, we ought to just shine brightly by just using the gifts and abilities and talents uh, just to serve God and God's people. We ought to be ministers in the church, but, but we need to realize there's something else we need to be. We need to be missionaries in the community. And congratulations, you're gifted, but congratulations, you're empowered to represent Jesus everywhere you go. And so we are called to say, look at I have people in my life, in my relational world, that he wants me to, to love and to pray for and look for ways to invite them into God's family and God's kingdom. And so when you leave this place, hopefully you understand that you've come to that place where you're a member of God's church and you are, you are serving him wherever it might be. But you also leave this play as a missionary. We're all called to touch lives with the message of Jesus. And there's really two ways we touch people. One with our lives and then with our words. And we're going to try to see that this morning. So, uh, if you have the, the book open, uh, Titus, and somehow I went away from it. In, in Titus uh, chapter 3... With the Apostle Paul turning the, the tables here on them, saying, look, I want you to look outside of the church and now look at the community around you. And we're going to see this as Paul speaks very graphically in this. And uh, let me just give you my, my main points this morning in case I get somehow bogged down with the first one or two points and never get to the third. We're going to see a key word that kind of opens up this entire passage. 
And in Titus chapter 3, he begins this section in his letter, and he says, remind them. Remind them. And so this morning, what I want us all to identify is that we're the them this morning. Paul wrote to Titus, and Titus wrote to the church in Cretans, and he's, he's writing to them to listen to what he had to say. And, and now we're the them. And there's some things that we need to be reminded about. Hupomoneske is, is the word in the Greek. And the only reason I give that is because in the Greek language, it's, it's very pointed. And, and that particular verb is what's called in the imperative command form, which he's saying, I, I'm not... Just telling you, this, is a, this might be something you might want to consider to think about. You know, I'm commanding you to remember this. And he also puts it in the present tense. He's saying, now, this is not just for the, the, when the semester ends or the quarter ends and you take the test and what's the key thing, what's one of the key things we need to do, we need to remember or remind ourselves. This is to be an ongoing challenge for all of us. In, in fact, uh, is it not true that we have a tendency to forget the things we ought to remember and remember the things we ought to what? Forget. And so he, so he's, he just pleads with him as he begins to, to somehow uh, take that plane in this letter and, and land it. He said, now my, as I'm about to finish this letter to you, I want you, Titus, to remind the people that you're going to be teaching and preaching to and all those who will read it later on. They need to understand there's, there's something God wants us to do, and it begins with just remembering what he wants us to do and what he wants us to be. Don't forget this. This is critical to be the people God wants us to be, to, to live out the template, the pattern, the blueprint for our lives. And just like everything else, God challenges us, but then he empowers us to actually live it out. And I would put it this way as we're going to look at some things this morning. Number one, and the opposite way of reminding yourself is put this on your list as something not to forget. So I put it this way. Don't forget to treat everybody like you want them to go to heaven. And hopefully we'll see this as I, as I move into the passage. But I want to kind of preach on this a little more. Would it not change our relationships with people? Maybe some of the people we don't like or we complain about or we harangue about or or whatever might be people who somehow uh, push our buttons. And it, would it not change how we treated them? And isn't it in Luke 6, I guess verse 31, treat people like you want them to treat you? Would it not change radically how we treat people if we remembered or did not forget to treat them like we want them to go to heaven? Would you... I know I would fail that test at times. There's some people that just irritate me so much, I can't even consider them being in heaven. I would think it would ruin heaven, right? <laughs> some of you are laughing because you've been there, right? And, and so, so you, you're, you're, you're thinking about them, you're talking about them. Uh, I remember when I, when I coached basketball, there were a few referees that I just didn't want to go to heaven, all right? You know, is that, is that you, you, you think about those people and, and you think, oh, you know that? Have you ever thought about that? You know, the people you're complaining how they're driving on the freeway or it might be, what if that was your, your parent or, your, or one of your relatives or, what, or one of your friends and they did something? Is to think about it. The, the, the person that you're haranguing about or treating you poorly, would you pass this test right now that you want them to go to heaven? Secondly, going to the other page because some of you turned before I finish anyway. Okay, don't forget people haven't always thought you were going to heaven. Isn't that humbling? 
I mean, think about that. You're, you're complaining about how other people live. You go, oh, wow. God made a mistake when he made them, right? You know, th- there, are, there are people, I, I know this shocks you, who thought that about me, okay? You know, wow, you're a Christian? You act like that? You've said that? And so it ought to humble ourselves. It's sometimes we think people deserve, you know, our condemnation. And we need to realize it goes back to us as well. And Paul speaks about that, and we'll see that in a moment. And then thirdly, don't forget to tell people what it actually takes to go to heaven. And then again, that's the heart of the message. The heart of the message. It's not about getting more, being more religious, but it's really knowing the one who came for you. So hopefully that'll make sense as we go through the text this morning. I told my wife I wouldn't have a long introduction. I already did it. All right, so here we go. Uh, Paul reminds Titus to remind us, and this is the template, this is the pattern, the blueprint for God's people. Don't forget to treat everybody like you want them to go to heaven. And I picked it up in, Roman, in Titus 3, beginning in verse 1. He says, remind them, that's reminding us, to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready Uh, For every good deed, to malign no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing every consideration for how many men? All men. And and so as I look at that passage, he's got to be speaking outside the church, doesn't he? Because he's, first of all, he talks about, you know, those people who are, who are over you in this Roman empire, these people who are, who are, who are taxing you, these people who are trying to control your life and, and govern how you live and how much you have to live with. Have you noticed that? April 15th is coming up pretty soon. You know, and isn't that the most fun day of the year? Okay, Is that all those who, who, who layer down certain things for us to, to conform to, is that I want you to have an attitude about them. Okay, And he really speaks to them about all things. And so what we're going to talk about to begin with is, is lifestyle evangelism. And lifestyle evangelism, to remind us all, or telling us not to forget, begins with our hard attitude, doesn't it? It begins, how do I think about those people that uh, just spin me around in terms of my attitude toward, toward them and how I live in front of them? And so it's to remind them to be subject to rulers. And what I'm going to do, I'm, I'm going to try to just put it in the most simplest ways, and this is where... Uh, it should go a lot more rapidly than I've already begun. It, what, what does it mean to be subject to those who, who are your rulers or people in authorities? And he was talking about government officials here, but, but I think we can, we can broaden it, can we, to, to anyone who has positional responsibility over us. It could be a, an employer uh, and we're the employee. And, and, and let's be honest, just like it was in those days, did the Roman Empire only have people you would vote for if you could have elected them? I mean, these were, these were people who oppressed others. There were more slaves in the Roman Empire than there were freemen. There were those who had the power uh, just with a look or with a, 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 a statement out of the word that, could, that could, could eliminate that person from that planet by taking away the right to, to breathe fresh air. They, could, they, they had rules where where they could easily put people, as we have now within our culture, not by way of rules, but they, they had it by way of edict, sex trafficking. There was ritual prostitution everywhere. There was the abuse of every, every age level of people, and, and genders were oppressed. And it was all uh, for the power of those in authority. And, and Paul had the, 
the gall to tell Titus, to tell them, I, I want you to be subject to those in authority. But what does that mean? I'd, I'd put it this way. We need to humbly respect those in authority. Now, there are times where, where people have to stand up for, for the, the rights of others to live and to not be oppressed. But often those in positions of authority, they're, they're simply just doing things we don't like. And we're feeling that they're, they're abusing us by asking us to do more than we feel is right or fair. And we live in a world where we have the option, if we don't like where we're working, we can go play, work someplace else. But in the meantime, even as we maybe speak out, we need to remind ourselves that whenever we speak out, we are to speak out with respect. And so... Paul speaks into them and he speaks into us that when we think about people in positional responsibility over us, we need to respect those in authority. And that, that, that really speaks in all, all facets of life. And I, I've failed here miserably at times. And it really speaks about, do I, do I really respect those in authority, the one who is in authority in my life, which is Almighty God? At times I, I react against things He has spoken authoritative in my life because I simply don't like what He has to say at, at any moment in time. But then He goes on, and, and just, we're just hitting simple phrases here. To be obedient, to be, to be ready for every good deed. To be obedient, what does that mean? Point number two, uh, do what you're told unless it's immoral. There are often times where we're just asked to do things that maybe aren't pleasant, but can we go the extra mile? Can we simply do things even though we don't like doing them? And that's what he meant to say, is, is, is simply be obedient to those who have the positional responsibility to tell you what to do. And then that phrase, and be ready for every good deed. You know, th- this is a theme throughout the book of Titus. In Titus uh, 2 verse 7, it said, In all things show yourselves to be an example of every good deed. Remember that? We memorized that a few, few months ago. With purity and doctrine and dignified. At the end of chapter 2, he says, he's calling out a people to be of God's own possession. And then he describes, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? We're zealous for every good deed. And so as he speaks to them now, so as, you, as I release you into the community... I want you to be prepared to, to look for opportunities to be helpful to others. And I think that's really what a good deed is, looking for ways to be helpful. And then he gets to really meddling. He says, to malign no one. Don't talk bad about people. Now, we live in an age, we don't, we don't have to verbalize maligning someone. We can simply put it on a what? You know, on a tweet, on some kind of social media thing, and harangue at people. And look, we can so easily do that within the political discussions that we have. And to think about, you take your least favorite politician. Are you speaking about them, treating like them like you want them to go to heaven? I know people on both sides of the aisle, and really, to be objective and honest, that's not true in describing them. That's the last person they want to get to heaven because they hate what they're doing. Now, you might be able to hate their activity, but you better not hate them. Does that make sense? And when you think about it, no matter how you look at it, 
whatever politician you are haranguing against, that's, that's some mom and dad's you know, little boy when they were first brought up in, the, in life. And, and we need to be praying for them, not maligning them every chance that we get. And he says to be peaceable. Now, I, I didn't even really change how to phrase that, and we could go through every Greek term here, but... You know, peaceful is a person, you are, you are lessening conflict rather than hiking it, right? There's plenty of verses that talk about that in Romans 12, 18, and that's the, that's the new series we're going through in the personal time with God. It says, as, as it all depends upon you, be at peace with all men. Well, yeah. Often we'll say, well, I, I, will, I will be at peace with them if they'll be at peace with me, right? The question, you, you take the first move. Or if we, we, want, we don't want to just listen to the Apostle Paul, how about Jesus? In Matthew 5, 9, he says, um, blessed are the peacemakers. You know, what's interesting to me is the second part of that beatitude. For they shall be called the sons of God. Which means when we... And again, there are times when there is conflict that's unavoidable. And there are issues that we've got to run right into. But it is the nature of our character where we are not trying to you know, pour gas on the fire. And Jesus says that when we are peacemakers, we, we tell the whole world that we, we are identified with being a member of God's eternal family. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Oh, you must, you must be a child of, of the Almighty God because you're trying to make peace here. Are any of us kind of uncomfortable right now? Okay. I mean, this is, this is pretty blatant, straightforward talk from the Apostle Paul to Titus to us. And then, he, then I'd like to erase these next two statements. It says... Uh, Showing every, uh, be gentle, showing every consideration for all men. I could have just put it this way. One of my, since I came to Grace Hills Church, I've been asking people to pray for I'm, I'm looking to be kinder and gentler, all right? And, and, and this is what he basically says here. Try being gentle, be mild-mannered. Show kindness in your concern for others. And this is just a, a working list, but th- these are things as we look at our own lives, as, as I live it out in the world. And, and sometimes we talk, well, I, I want to share Christ by my, my life. Well, if you're going to share Christ by your life, it's going to mean, it's going to say a lot of things about our character and how we treat people. And the summary thing for me is, don't forget, treat everybody like you want them to go where? Heaven. Wouldn't that change how we live in front of people? All right, so then he moves on. We only looked at two verses. So let's just look at one verse. And then he goes on. Don't forget, and I don't know why he did this other than he was just trying to humble them. He says, don't forget, people haven't always thought you were going to heaven. Because he goes on, verse 3, and he says it pretty plainly, for we also once were. Okay, so we're going to talk about now B.C. I'm not talking about the history of all of life. We're talking about before you became a Christian. And if, if you haven't made that step, that this is the most important step because if you want to know where you're going, it's only by encountering Jesus Christ in a personal way. 
by believing in him and putting your trust in him and not yourself, by recognizing he is the only one that, that can deal with that which keeps you in a right relationship with God and the place he's prepared for, for people, which is getting, dealing with your sin, that you've got to put your faith in him. But, but let's be honest, every one of us here, wherever we are on the spiritual journey, had a BC before we became a Christian. And, and what he does here, he lists some things that, that aren't particularly um, complimentary about who we were. Now, I, I became a Christian at an early age, so some of these things I'm thinking, well, I wasn't, I wasn't that way. Well, I might not have been, been that way every way externally, but if you looked at my heart, I might have been that way in every, every area. And still struggle with those attitudes and, and perspectives. And, and so this ought to humble us, because sometimes, we, we, again, we, we're not sure we want that person to go to heaven. But that's who we were. The Bible says even, even the good things we did were, to God's eyes, kind of like filthy rags, just to be thrown out. It says, for also, we also were foolish ourselves. And, and here I decided just to, just to state them just like they are in the text. Don't forget people haven't always thought you were going to heaven. Number one, you were a fool. You, you did some things that just weren't very wise. Or to use the S word, not a four-letter S word, just relax, okay? Uh, you were stupid. I was stupid. I did stupid things. I didn't get too many hands raised before. How many have ever done a stupid thing here? Okay. Okay. I've got, got a much higher percentage on that one, all right? Okay, so look at we were foolish. We did stupid things. And then he goes on, uh, disobedient. And, and look, if, if you were a kid growing up, your parents would raise their hands for that question. How many parents here have had kids that have ever disobeyed you? And every hand would go up, right? You were disobedient. Um, you were deceived. You know, that's one of the most damaging things we all get caught up in. You know, I thought that was the way I should have gone. That's, I thought that was what I should have done. I was thinking that was the right way of approaching life. I can't tell you how many times I've gone, well, I probably shouldn't even make this as an illustration, but I've gone down a lot of one-way streets the wrong way, okay? Now, I never did it on purpose, but I, you know, I was deceived. I thought that was the direction, the flow, where the traffic got to go. And so you look at, as we get proud and as Christians, sometimes we can get proud. He said, look at, you were a fool. You were disobedient. You were deceived. You believed things that were not true. Uh, you were enslaved to various lusts and pleasures. Um, now, I just put it this way. You, you, were, you were selfish. When we get caught up, and the re- it, it, so often we can explain why we do what we do is, at that moment, that's what I felt like doing. Isn't that true? I just, why'd you do that? Why? Well, just, that's what I felt like doing at the moment. Well, it's all right to just do things like you feel like doing at the moment, but just because you felt like it doesn't mean that's, that's the right thing to do. And so he was just describing it in just very simple ways, and he go, oh man, that describes me. And he said, uh, spending our life in malice and envy. And I guess if you put those two together, malice. You're doing things to hurt people. You were hurtful. Um, I won't over-illustrate that, but there's a lot of ways you can hurt people, right? And it doesn't have to be physical. You were envious. You were so caught up in what somebody else had, you, you couldn't be happy with what you had. 
And then, and then he kind of just turns up the heat. Hateful. Hateful. You were hateful. So what is he trying to say to us as we think about living right? We want to live right because we're, we're, we're called to be missionaries in this world. And, and we're not going to become missionaries in this world if we don't see people as people God wants to get to heaven. And he'll sovereignly do that, but we're called to be a part of that process. And so we need to see everyone as a person that we want to get to heaven. Pretty fundamental right there. And we want to live in such a way that they can see Jesus in us. And in case at times we don't think that, that uh, we desperately needed that to happen to us, just look at yourself, B.C., how you were before Christ. And he speaks clearly into their lives. And then he goes on, and then he, and he says, don't, don't forget to tell people, however, what it really means to get to heaven. Because our lives will be the first step in drawing people you know, to themselves, but... But we need to go the next step, which is, is getting them into a place which could be inviting them or, or speaking to them about how they can know what it means to cross the line of faith. And so in verse 4 through 7, he says this, but, but when the kindness of our God, our Savior, and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we've done in righteousness, but according to his mercy by the washing and regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, which... Can I confess something in church? That, that was the verse I was going to have you memorize this month, but I gave you an easy one. All right? Philippians 1.21 says this, For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And, and Paul wrote that to say, look, the reason I'm here is I, I want other people to come and know Jesus. And I'm not really fearing death because I know where I'm going. So right now my life is all about Christ. But as we think about, well, how did he come to know Christ? He didn't come to know Christ because he did a lot of good deeds, and he did a lot of good deeds. He said, if anyone wanted to come before God and say, look at, look at all I've done, he said, I would have been the poster child for that. Read Philippians chapter 3 on that. But he saved us, not based on the deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing and regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. When he poured out, verse 6, out upon us as richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, he, that being justified by his grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Now, that's a kind of complicated passage, but let me break it down to you. And, and, and let me just say, if we're going to be a missionary, which is a spokesman for God, then we need to, we need to know what we ought to say, Right? Now, if I were to break this passage down, this is just one, oper- this is one just outline for what he said. He said, look, it, he saved us when, when he appeared. Verse, uh, verse 4. He's, uh, verse, but when the kindness of God, our Savior, and his love for mankind appeared. He says two things about he, the message of the gospel right here. Number one, he says, God, our Savior, loves us. So if you were to talk to a person, what does that really mean to be a Christian? What do I need to know? Well, first of all, you need to know there is a God. And, and that God loves you. Now, if they were to take a step back, well, how do I know that? Because God, our Savior, he appeared. He showed up. And, and that's the uniqueness of Christianity. We could, just, we, could just, we could come up with our own plan. Well, I think there's a God out there. And I think that God out there wears a green hat or a, a, a what's the yellow here? It's a sunburst yellow hat. Well, we would just be making that up, right? 
But God loves us. And how do we know God loves us? But God loved us because he showed up. And that's who Jesus is. And then secondly, he showed up. And you know what he, what he said when he, when he showed up? He said, God, our Savior, can save us. And he says that right. He saved us not based on the deeds we've done in righteousness, but according to his mercy. And then fourthly, God, our Savior, forgives us by his grace. And then we get in, it doesn't say this in the passage, it's through our faith. Verse 7, so that being justified by his grace, we be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Justified by his grace. The word justified means to be declared righteous. And the, the message of the Bible is that we weren't righteous before Jesus came. So who, who is God? God is the one who, who, who's come to rescue us. And the reason he's doing that is because he loves us. That's what the text says. And we know he loves us because he showed up. That's what Christmas is all about. And he, he came here for a purpose, to save us. And, and what did he come to save us from? He came to save us from our sin. And, and why would he do that? Because he, he's willing to give us that which we don't deserve. That's what grace is. And then we get in on it by faith. Another way to put that, and we've used this many times here at Grace Hills, that it's just understanding the ABCs of the gospel. It's it's admitting, believing, and committing. Admitting that you, you, need, you need God in your life. And you understand what keeps you from knowing God in a personal way, which is your sin, and you're willing to turn from it. Admitting your need and turning from your sin. B, it's believing, trusting that Jesus Christ is God, and he died on the cross for your sins and rose again, paying the penalty for your sins. It's admitting and believing. It's committing. It's committing. It's crossing that line to follow Jesus as, as the leader of your life, your Lord and your God. Admitting, believing, committing. Well, how do you do that? Well, I'm, I'm going to give you a, a, a color card. I've given you a color card in your bulletin. That it's, it's easy to remember what color, kind of color it is. It's a white card, right? And if we're a missionary, how, how, how can we become a missionary? We've got to realize, well, how can we do that? And we're going a little bit long, Mark. I already know that, so. Well, how, how, can, how can we all be missionaries? Congratulations, you can do this. And how do you do this? You, you identify people in your life that you, you are concerned about. And, and let me just urge us all to understand that, that we ought to be concerned about people who are local, people in our own community that we care about. We, we care enough about them to begin very simply to pray about them and pray for them. And, and so what we've urged us is to you know, take a card like this and, and put names on this card. And let me, I, I, in, case, in case I wasn't clear in the, in the past, put people on this list that are local. Now, I have, a, I have a list, and there are, a lot, there, there are more names than five on it. There's, this is my writing. I can't even, it's scribbled on here. There, there are people outside of this community that I'm praying for. You know, family and friends, people I've connected with, you know, throughout my life. But, but God wants me to be praying for people locally that don't know Jesus. That we ought to be, we ought to be blooming where we plant. And say, God, God, you bring people in my life that I can start praying for that, that I don't know where they are spiritually. 
And, and, and trust me, there have been people I began praying for, I didn't know their names. Let me, let me just tell you a quick story. We might not sing a whole lot at the end of this thing. Uh, I've been praying. From the neighbor on my right, and their work schedule—I have no—I have no idea, you know, what, what their schedule is. It's just they're in and out at various times, and so I've just been praying for over a year for them. Uh, because something happened with the tree falling down, I got to know the man's name. His name was Paul. I just introduced myself, got his name, and then I didn't haven't seen him for about a year. Okay, just whatever. Last Saturday, which is yesterday, I'm out. Uh, Sometimes the only time I can work on my lawn is at night. I'm, I'm, I'm mowing my lawn at night. I'm doing all kinds of stuff at night. And my neighbor shows up in, in a truck with this, he called it 400 pounds. I don't think it was quite that much. But he had this, this large refrigerator on it. And I'm thinking, you know, where's Brian when I need him? Okay, so, uh, no, is that, uh, you know, so I'm looking at this. And he's got his wife there. I'm thinking, this does not look good. And I, and I, and, and I go over, you ever volunteer for something you hope people say no to? Okay, so, so I go over there, and I said, uh, I said uh, would you like some, you, you, no, may I put, you don't, may I put in the neck, you don't need some help, do you? Okay, do you, you, would, would, you, would you like some help? And he goes, yeah, I'd like some help. So, so anyway, I spent time, you know, helping him get the, the, the huge refrigerator off his truck, and we got into his, his uh, garage and things like that, and, and so we got to talk, I got to meet his wife, Chandra, and um, I've talked to a little girl, but never got her name. Her name's Caitlin. And, and so we got talking, whatever it might be. And, and so it was just a good contact, but I was just praying for him. Okay, you know what happened the next day? Actually, this happened on Friday. He came back on Saturday, and he's a baker. He made me, he, he made me a loaf of bread, and he made me desserts and all kinds of things. And I'm thinking, this is just for taking off his, you know, his whatever, okay? And, and so I was just looking for opportunity to connect. I've been praying for him. That's all it meant to, to say I want to be a missionary. You know, other people I know, and I've been, I, you know, I had a chance to invite Ken to church yesterday, but, you know, I haven't had that opportunity with Paul and Chandra and, and Caitlin, but I'm just praying for them, and, and they've been on my list. And so we can all say, well, you know, there might be people we don't know. It might be the, it might be the checker at the grocery store you go to. It might be someone you, you, you know in the community that, that you, all you know is that's what they look like. But you're, you're saying, I, I want to begin praying for specifically people who don't know the Lord. And, and if I don't know them, I'm going to pray about the person I don't know. There's some neighbors on my block I know well and some I don't, but I've, I've been praying for them. There are people that I, that I play pickleball with and I've had opportunities to, to speak to, but others I haven't. I'm just, I'm just looking for ways to say, how can I be a missionary to people locally that I don't know where they are spiritually because I want everybody to go to heaven. And only God knows who's going there, but I want to be part of that, that solution. To, first of all, just pray for people. Can, can, can anyone who's a Christ follower pray for people? We can all begin there, right? Can people at your work, at your school, people you do life with? You know, I'm trying to get our staff saved, but, you know, I don't work with anybody that's not saved, right? <laughs> They're all saved, so that's not, that's not a place for me to do evangelism, but my community is. And it all begins with us realizing that this is, you know, and let me, I, I'm just like you now. I don't, I, don't, I don't get paid for doing this, right? I'm just good for nothing, okay? This is just me being a Christian, and we all need to be that way. We're all missionaries for God. And as we think about Easter coming up, people are open to come to church on Easter, 
And so we say, hey, you want to come? Now, I've, got, I've got a friend who says, you don't give up on me. I told you about that. Chuck, he said, oh, you never give up on me. No, I'm not going to give up on you. Only God knows what's going to happen with him. But I'm praying for him. And so as we think about this, what, is it, what does it mean to, to be able to, to tell people how to get to heaven? One is, is in, invest your life in them and then be looking for opportunities to invite them to hear about Jesus. If you get an opportunity, just tell your story, how you came to know Jesus. Give them something to read. Give them, give them something to, to look at and to respond to. But it all begins by praying. And so what I want you to do, I want you to take this card. And I, want to put, I want you to put at least five people on it. And it might be two, three, and four people I don't know, but I'm going to start praying for them and look for opportunities. I heard, I heard someone this, uh, the other day say this. If we're not fishing for men and women and boys and girls, if we're not fishing, we're not following. If, if we're not fishing for men and women to know Jesus, we're not really following Jesus because Jesus called out his disciples and said, I want to make you what? Fishers and men. If we're not praying for people, we're not putting God first and their needs first, are we? If we're not inviting, then we're not investing in lives that need to come to know him in a personal way. So I want to just leave us all with that challenge. Who is it we're praying for? And and I want to challenge all of us. Who are you praying for locally that he wants me to have influence on. And there are people who come on my list and go off my list, they move, whatever it might be, but who can I begin praying for? I'm not asking us to be Billy Graham, to go on a street corner or whatever it might be, but just pray for lost people to be found. That's, that's what Paul was urging the church in Crete to be, to recognize it's the grace and mercy of God that draws people to himself. But We're to be a part of it by living the life, remembering where we were, and remembering what God can do by his grace and mercy. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much that someone cared enough about us to pray for, that someone cared enough about us to do whatever it took to either bring us to a place where we could hear about Jesus or to share their own story or just it was their prayers that brought us into the kingdom. Father, we want to be part of that. And Father, we pray for anyone here this morning that might have come here this morning and doesn't know you. Might they recognize that it all begins with admitting their need, turning from their sin and believing that Jesus Christ paid the penalty for their sin and then committing to, to follow Jesus and trust Jesus to be the Lord and God and Savior of their life. Help us to live out what you've called your church to be. And we praise in Christ's name. Amen.